communion had become just like a social event. Didn't mean anything. Some of them were getting drunk. Some of them were being exclusive and excluding people. What we found out was that the focus of communion became not on Christ, but on other things. The church has done the same thing with communion. Nobody hates ritualistic communion more than I do. There's no such thing as transubstantiation, which is a big long word that means the matzah you're holding. In this case, we are using matzah. That's what we use here, which is what the children of Israel ate when they came out of Egypt. When the first they did the Seder and all the stuff to get ready to be delivered. But communion and baptism, water baptism, most of the people are ignorant of this. You're not because I've told you this many times. But communion and water baptism were going on before the New Testament. People try to hang their hats on those ordinances as if they were new and as if salvation comes through communion or water baptism. The Jews were having communion and water baptism before Jesus ever showed up. Those are not new concepts. They don't belong to the church exclusively. What Jesus did was he told the church you should have this should have been people should have been seeing me in all these ordinances. In fact, Abraham was having communion before Moses was around. You know what God's after? The same thing he's always been after from Genesis 1. He's after you and I to put our complete trust and faith in him, which means us accepting and believing on the work of his son. There's no other way to get to heaven. You can't get to heaven by being, by following Buddha. You can't get to heaven by following Mohammed. You can't get to heaven by following Shirley MacLaine and the New Age movement. You can't get to heaven by following Confucius. The only way you and I can get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. That's it. And this table was always about him. It was never about us. So the old King James misquoted a word there. They made it an adjective instead of an adverb. The new King James fixed it. In in 1 Corinthians 11, where it talks about communion, where Paul's straightening the church out, they get it right there. It's not how worthy you are. You're never, I'm never worthy to take this. You know what makes me worthy to come before the Lord this morning? Is the work he's done in my life. Not how good I was this week. What makes me worthy is the work he's done. And what Paul's addressing there, and I've done my homework. You can go home and look it up if you like. It should have been an adverb. He's talking to these people. If you read the context of the whole chapter, it makes sense. He said, you guys are doing this in an unworthy manner. They made it a party. They made it about themselves. But you have access to the Father because of what Jesus has done, not because of what you've done.
That's why we have access to the Father. And so it wasn't how worthy you are. That was never, you're never, you and I are never going to be worthy enough to approach God on our own. Our performance one week, and that's why you watch, if you grew up in churches, that's why you watch somebody have communion one week and next week skip. Because this week they didn't say a cuss word and last week they did. Now I'm not negligating repentance. I don't put off repentance till Sunday. Do you? If I sin on Thursday, I don't wait to get to church on Sunday to repent. I'll do it on Thursday. If you see me in Walmart repenting, then I'm getting the job done in Walmart. I don't wait. I don't put off something. We The veil's been ripped. I don't have to wait and see the high priest. I can have direct access to God. So this matzah, this bread, and this fruit of the vine that you have in front of you represents Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. His body was pierced, striped, and broken for you and me. He laid his life down. He poured out his blood. He didn't spill it. It wasn't an accident. He poured it out. So as we get ready to receive his word today, I feel like my job changed in the last few days. I'm getting ready to prepare people to meet Jesus. I want to prepare his body and I want to get as many lost people as we can ready to meet Jesus. He's getting ready to show up. All hell has broke loose in the Middle East. But that's not really what's going to be the deciding factor. All heaven's getting ready to break loose over there. And when all heaven breaks loose, all hell will go somewhere and hide. Because hell can't hold heaven a lot when it comes to warfare. The devil already tried to defeat God. He lost. Jesus come out of that grave. And we win. Lord, we lift this bread to you. Not because we've earned it. Not because we deserved it. Not because we were better this week than we were last week. Simply because you sacrificed your son. You hung him, you nailed him to a tree so that we could go free. We have been healed. Healing has been offered to all of us mentally, physically, and spiritually through the work of your son. And we eat this bread with full awareness of his victory that he's given to us in Jesus' name. And here we hold this cup, Lord. This cup that represents the blood of you, Jesus. How far you went. The greatest extent to make sure our sins were forgiven. Because it don't matter who's got the most money or the most stuff or who's the smartest or who's the prettiest all that matters is whether we've been washed in the blood of Jesus and for that Lord we're thankful this morning because we didn't deserve it and we didn't earn it 
but you freely gave it to all of us who were sinners gone astray. We drink this cup with the joy of knowing that all of our sins are washed away in Jesus' name. You ready to give God praise? Are you ready to move behind that veil after we give Him praise? Are you ready to forget about everything else just for a few moments here? Focus your attention on the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. You're the prettiest. We're the prettiest when we're praising, not when we're complaining. Can I get one amen? Amen. Praise the Lord with a harp. Make melody with Him and an instrument of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song and play skillfully with a shout of joy. Nobody's happy. We're going to try this again. Sing to Him a new song and play skillfully with a shout of joy. I just wonder if we would have been able to participate on the wall of Jericho. Or if God said, you guys can't handle this job now. Uh, For the word of the Lord is right. All his works are done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. And all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He's in charge. He owns everything. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays the deep in storehouses. Let the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. That's coming. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. That's starting to happen. He makes the plans of the peoples of none effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now I want to say this. Basically what he's saying here. Whatever God's decreed is going to happen. That's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen in the Middle East. That's what's going to happen in America. That's what's going to happen in Russia. That's what's going to happen in Bull, Lincoln, Mercer, Garrett, Rock Castle, Anderson counties because our God is still in charge. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him praise this morning. He's worthy. Men might be saved. Amen. Let's give him some praise. Come on, let's give him some praise. Lord, we love you. We honor you. We want your will to come to pass. We want your plan to come to pass. We want you to be glorified. We want you to be crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We want you to return on that white horse. We want you to put down sin and unrighteousness and evil and lawlessness. We want you to rule and reign over the kingdoms of this earth. We love you, Jesus, and we honor you. Let's give him praise one more time. Amen. Turn around, shake your neighbor's hand. Children's church is dismissed.
We have two nurseries across the alleyway there also. The rest of you may be seated. It's a day the Lord's made and I'm happy about it, aren't you? I'm excited about the Lord and His plan. Uh, let me throw a ringer back there on you guys. I need Joshua 24 and 15 put up on the screen. Joshua 24 and 15. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you a few things today. I, I shared with you some Wednesday that uh, the when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're not actually praying for necessarily the war to stop or anything like that because we know according to the scripture if you take the whole counsel of the scripture there's not going to be any peace over there until the Lord returns there will be a small segment of false peace but that won't last very long the Bible says uh, then sudden destruction so when you pray Psalm 122 pray for the peace of Jerusalem you're basically praying for the Lord to return and there's nothing wrong with that what John said at the end of the book of Revelation come quickly Lord Jesus so you and I have been called to choose sides as a Christian we choose God's word we choose his side we choose his will over our own will and this is what Joshua said to the children of Israel and I'm saying this to you today with an apostolic mantle. My mantle is an apostolic mantle, not a pastoral mantle. That's how God's used me in my life. He, as uh, an apostolic mantle functions in all of the mantles, the prophetic, and that's how I'm functioning today to you. I'm functioning underneath that prophetic mantle because that falls under the apostolic mantle. Church planting, church fixing, if you want to call it that, all those things God's given me to do, troubleshoot, planting, pastoring, uh, sharing the gospel as an evangelist, all those things. Somebody with an apostolic mantle falls, all those things fall under his repertoire. Somebody with just a pastoral mantle is just pastoring. And so, but that's the mantle God's given to me. It's been confirmed in my life a couple of times in the last 30 some years. And God's proven that out with the things he's given me to do. <clears throat> and so this morning as I functioned with you, I'm functioning with a mantle, a prophetic mantle, because I want to expose some things to you. I'm going to share a dream the Lord gave me, and we may reference this prophecy we were given that he gave me back in 2020 a little bit. But here's what he told the children of Israel. He said, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods, little g, which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in, those land, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So that's our call. Our call is to choose the Lord. You're, and you're going to see what the word meek means in the Old Testament in just a minute that I think may surprise you with when God used that word. But in this case, we're to choose sides. Now, the first person, people I want to rebuke is the church. Not, just, not necessarily this church, but the church as a group. The part of the church that teaches replacement theology, you are teaching a lie straight out of the pit of hell. The Christians have not taken the place of the Jews. According to Romans chapter 11, we were grafted in to the same trunk. 
And the Bible speaks to us Gentiles in that same chapter and tells us not to get haughty or high-minded lest God cuts us back out of the tree. And he said if the Jews don't remain in their unbelief, they'll be regrafted right back in the trunk. And so we see all that coming to pass. That trunk is Jesus, and he's offered himself to the Jews first. Most of them rejected him when he was here on earth. And then Paul was the apostle who himself was a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. He brought the gospel to us Gentiles. But that is haughty, high-mindedness that thinks that the Gentiles have taken the place, or the church has taken the place of the Jews. Now, I'm going to say one thing about that. I'm going to make this as clear as I can. If God does not keep his promises to Abraham and to the Jews, then how can we expect him to keep his promises to us? He's going to keep his promises to Abraham, proven with 1948 and 1967, just those two events alone. He has proven that he's going to keep his promises to Abraham. There were theologians in the 1800s who were good men looking at the scriptures, things like Matthew 24 and things in the uh, Mark 13 and Revelation, thinking that, well, we must be in, we must be misinterpreting the scripture. Because, and here's what their voices, some of them said, there's no way Israel will be a nation again. So they were struggling with passages that looked like Israel would come back to life, but Israel had been dead, basically, as a nation for almost 2,000 years. And so they were struggling with trying to put the Scripture together because it looked like Israel was going to be alive and well again, but in their carnal minds, they could not understand how a nation that had been dead for 2,000 years could come back to life. Well, lo and behold, in 1948, Israel came back to life. And in 1967, they did exactly what Jesus prophesied to us in Luke 21 would happen, that they regained control of Jerusalem, which is the only city in the world that God put his name on. He didn't put his name on Louisville. He didn't put his name on New York. He didn't put his name on Moscow. He didn't put his name on Mecca. He didn't put his name on any, uh, London. He didn't put his name on Los Angeles. God put his name on Jerusalem. That's the only city in the world. And if you pushed all the landmass back together like it was before the flood when it was all created according to Genesis, Jerusalem would be in the center of the landmass. So God knew he knew what he was doing. He had a plan. Let me say something to you. That David, King David, was in Jerusalem almost 15 to 1600 years before Mohammed ever showed up. Can I get an amen? That place don't belong to Islam. It belongs to Jews. Let me say something else. While I'm talking about this, America don't belong to us. It belongs to God. And if we don't straighten our act up, he may give us to China. Because it's his. China belongs to God. You want to know how nations fall and get their property gets handed over to somebody else? Somebody says, oh, that can't happen. God does it all the time in the scripture. Why? Because none of us own anything when it comes to God. 
This piece of land that we call America is in God's jurisdiction. And if we don't straighten our act up, he may give us away to somebody else. That's exactly what he did to Israel. And then God brought them back. He put them back in. Jesus was in the land nearly six or 700 years before Mohammed. They have nothing to do with it. In fact, Jerusalem is not the top of the rung that they claim for their sites anyway. It's the third, whatever they call, most holy site. Palestinian is a made-up word. There's no such thing. That's a made-up word that they've handed down over time. The place of Gaza was inhabited by the Philistines, which God gave that property to Israel because the Philistines worked against God. Now, I want to say something here. No matter what color your skin is, it doesn't matter how big you are, doesn't matter what your background is, if you don't serve God, you're going to get in trouble. And he may take everything you have and hand it off to somebody else. And to know that he's not a respecter of persons, he did that to the Jews as well, right? He took everything they had and gave it to other nations until he was getting ready to gather them up and bring them back home and do his plan. And that's where we're at now. So there's no such thing as I have a privilege because I'm red, yellow, black, and white. You have a privilege to live and to do God's will. That's the only privilege you have. I don't care what color your skin is. Amen. Amen. There is no difference. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17 that all nations are made out of the same blood. Doesn't matter what color your skin is, you shouldn't get no privilege for that, and you shouldn't get no hardship for that. You shouldn't get a leg up because you have a certain color of skin, or you shouldn't be put down because you have a certain color of skin. Your skin has nothing to do with nothing. It's the heart is what God matters. And we found out, you better do your homework. We found out that the Black Lives Matter movement is against God. They're thoroughly against God. They hate Israel. It's a funny thing to me that this LBGT immoral movement is standing along beside the Hamas movement. And if Hamas had the chance, they'd kill every one of them where they stand. Now, if you're a Christian, you better do your homework before you get involved with these people. And no, because you don't want to be found against the Lord. All right? So God has done all this for a reason. He's brought all this to come to pass. So let's go to uh, Isaiah chapter 17. Look on the screen here. Just a couple of verses. It says, The burden against Damascus. Behold, Damascus will cease from being a city, and it will be a ruinous heap. Next verse. The cities of Arior are forsaken. They will be for flocks which lie down, and no one will make them afraid. These countries, do you understand what God just said there? Damascus is going to get destroyed. It's going to be destroyed. That's the oldest inhabited city in the world. It's the longest running city. Now, let me tell you who's going to destroy it. God's going to destroy it, and he may use Israel to do it. But don't you think that the world is going to go nuts when Damascus gets destroyed? But it's going to be destroyed. Go back to verse 1. He says, the burden against Damascus will cease from being a city, and it will be a ruinous heap. All the evil that's been done by the Assyrians in Syria, it's going to come to roost. It's going to come home to roost, and it's coming soon because God is going to destroy that. Now, 
half the world will get in sympathy with everybody except Israel at that point because the world is sentimental. Let me tell you something. Damascus is not the only place when this thing's said and done is going to be destroyed. Danville's going to be flattened. New York's going to be flattened. There won't be a Moscow. There won't be a London. There won't be a Saudi Arabia. There won't be a New York, uh, uh, Los Angeles or Chicago. This is just the first in plan. And so when God destroys Damascus, and he may destroy it with the children of Israel, the world is going to go nuts because they're in love with this life and not the next one. And that's what's got to change with us Christians. Because let's be honest, there are a lot of people in the church that are as much in love with this life as they are the next one. They really wish the Lord wouldn't come back soon because they've got big plans for their life. And we, they, they don't really want the Lord to come back. They can't have the same kind of attitude that, uh, that John has in Revelation, the end of Revelation, because they don't really want the Lord to come back soon. They want him to hold it off. They want, and, and they got their reasons. Maybe they want to retire first. How crazy is that? And that's why I'm telling you, we're going to have to start rethinking our priorities. Your retirement is not, shouldn't be the top thing on your list. Your honoring God and getting involved with what he's doing should be the number one thing on your list. Every single one of us. And so God is calling us to pay attention to what's going on. Let's go to Psalm 83. In Psalm 83, I use this a little bit Wednesday night, but in Psalm 83, we see, I want to share a couple of things with you, and then I want to shoot a couple of maps up for you so you can understand what's going on. In Psalm 83, God talks to us about impending judgment for all those nations that are surrounding Israel. Now that, that time has come, those impending judgments. He says, do not keep silent. This is Asaph, who was also a prophet, according to Chronicles. He was a seer, not just a worship guy. And he wrote a bunch of Psalms from 73 to 83. And Psalm 50, or one of the Psalms, he wrote several Psalms. Do not keep silent, O God, and not hold your peace. Do not be still, O God, for behold, your enemies make a tumult. And those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. Talking about Israel. They have said, come and let us cast them off from being a nation. That is the very language that's used now. They want to destroy Israel. They don't want any Jews to be left and they don't want them to have a nation. That's the same. Now th how, think how prophetic that is. That back, this is Asaph was one of David's right-hand guys. He's there in the time of David, about a, a thousand B.C., right? And he's prophesying that there's, these people are going to say, we don't want Israel to be a nation. The name of, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. And that's the attitude of a big group of people in the world. And some of them are here in America. Shame on us. We have... People in our Congress in the United States that worship false gods. Shame on us. There's a difference between freedom and liberty. Shame on us for opening our doors to our Congress to people who worship false gods. That will come back to haunt us. The Bible, amen. I'm not for that kind of freedom. 
We've let false gods come into this land and set up their worship houses. You go try to set up a church in Saudi Arabia, they'll throw you in jail at the very least and maybe have you executed. We should, Israel was told the same thing we should have adhered to. Do not make any pacts or com, uh, military alliances or trade agreements with people who worship false gods. Let me tell you when God's end comes up. It comes up when we worship idolatry, when we get into false gods. He says, let us come and let us cut them off from being a nation. That's the attitude toward Israel. They have consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you, the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites. There it is, plain as day. This, you know what's behind a mosque? I'm going to say it, Islam. That's what's the driving force behind Hamas. Do you know what the driving force behind all those terrorist groups? Boko Haram that harasses what we do in Nigeria. And all that, that's Islam. It's a false doctrine. It's a false god. It's not a peaceful religion. It is against everything God is for. Ishmael has no, no right to take away Isaac's land. Ishmael has way more land than Isaac does. He don't have no need for Isaac's land, but it's the devil who's using a false religion to try and destroy God's plan. Well, I got news for him. He's going to lose because God is going to show up in this battle. Ishmael and Isaac, Ishmael was given plenty of blessings. God told him he would give him plenty of blessings. The richest people in the world are Ishmaelites. Do you know that? Because they have all, most of the oil, or they have had, or they're the ones that will pump it out of the ground. We leave ours in the ground. But that, that's why they're the richest people in the world. You want to know what fuels the world? I don't care how many solar panels they put up. Oil fuels the world. And I'm a coal guy. I like for them to use coal. But oil is what fuels the world. You know why some of you women got makeup this morning? Because they pump oil out of the ground. You know why we were able to get to church on those tires we have on our car? Because they pump oil out of the ground. And we could go on and on and on from the things that are made from petroleum. Ishmaelites are the richest people in the world. God told Ishmael he would bless him. But he didn't tell Ishmael that he could push his half-brother around and steal everything he's got. Now let me tell you why Iran is a coward. Because they've tricked these terrorist groups. They've got a group of people that we now know them as terrorists. But they've told these people lies that when they get killed on behalf of jihad, that they've got so many virgins waiting on them in heaven. And so they get these young men, mostly young men, sometimes women, young men, and they train them to hate, and then they fill them with lies about eternity, and they use them as proxies. So Iran's sitting over there, kind of staying out of the fray, and these people that are Hamas and Boko Haram and all Hezbollah, they've been deceived by the, the, the mainframe, the rich guys who won't get their fingers dirty, and they're using these people as pawns. It's time for them to wake up and realize what's happening to them. And so they use them and sell them to death. That's all I ran. Somebody in Iran, if you get a hold, you ought to be rebelling because you're getting used by the people who steal all the money from you and train you to hate and train you to lay your own life down while they sit in cushy palaces and watch TV. Now that's the side of that story that the world won't want to hear. 
But these guys that are down there in the trenches doing wrong, working against God, they've been trained their whole life to do that. They've been lied to, they've been taught hate, and then when they get the dog whistle, they jump up and go out there thinking, it doesn't matter if I die because I'm going to go to paradise and i got uh, 50 women waiting on me. What a lie. What a lie. Who wants 50 women in here? <laughs> Shame on me, right? <clears throat> we just want one. One woman, right? Some guy said, his wife, uh, a woman said to him, said, where would you men be without us? He said, we'd still be in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, that's the light part of this sermon. The rest of it's going to get heavy. Uh, so uh, Psalm 83, he goes on, he says, the Moabites, Hagarites, these are all countries that I've identified clearly. They're the ones surrounded. They're the border countries, okay, with Israel. Assyria also has joined them. They have helped them. I just read to you, that's... Uh, 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 verse 8, I just read to you about how Damascus is going to be destroyed. Uh, and then he says something interesting. He says, deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera, as with Jabin in the brook of Kishon, uh, who perished at Endor, who became his refuse on the earth. So what the psalmist is saying, saying the prophet here is saying, we're going to destroy them. God's going to destroy them. They're not going to be raised up. So here's what I want you to understand. Psalm 83 is a different conflict, although they may join one another and run right into each other. Psalm is a di 83 is a different conflict than Ezekiel 38. Now, shoot that map up. Let me show you something here. <clears throat> you see these countries here. This is, you see what surrounds Israel. You see the Gaza Strip here where the Philistines were run out of town when God gave that to Israel. You see <clears throat> Egypt right here. All this Sinai Peninsula. Israel, you see Jerusalem. Ashdod, Tel Aviv. Let's see, Damascus, Amman, Ashkelon. I think I mentioned that. We put these cities up here for a reason. The, the, the highlighted certain ones because these are cities that are destined to be destroyed. God said he's going to destroy them all. Every one of them. Ekron, Ashkelon, Gaza, <coughs> Amman, Damascus. Those cities are going to be destroyed. When that happens, that's what Psalm 83 is talking about. These border countries and cities are going to be brought down. And some of them are going to be destroyed uninhabitable. According to this, and Israel is going to take back over the Gaza Strip, which it looks like they're getting ready to do. So that's what makes me believe that Psalm 83 has started to come to life. Now, Psalm 83 will most likely lead in or be the prelude to Ezekiel 38. <clears throat> we may come back to Psalm uh, 83, but let's go to Ezekiel real quickly, and then we'll shoot another map up there. Ezekiel 38, verse 1 through 6. Let me just read you a little bit of this. I feel like I'm getting people ready. <clears throat> he says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog and the land of Magog, 
and the prince of Rosh and Meshach and Tubal and prophesy against them and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, lead you out with, the, with your army, horses and horsemen, all the splendid clothing, uh, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields and of them handling swords, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya. There you go. Iran and Iraq shows up in here. Uh, uh, are with them, with them the shield of helmet, Gomer, there's your Germany, uh, and Turkey, and all the troops in the house of Togarma, Turkey, from the far north and all his troops, and many people are with you. Now let's shoot the second map up. So what happens is God comes in with Psalm 83, and he takes care of the border countries, renders them helpless or destroys them. That's what's going to stir up the people outside, Iran's going to have to put up or shut up at that point because they're down here with their little pawns using people in Hamas and Hezbollah and all that, funding it, and they're using them because they're a bunch of sissies. Right? The last president proved that, right? Put a couple of shots off in Iran, they shut their mouth. So they're a bunch of sissies over here. I'm going to say it like I feel it, all right, like a good mountain boy would say it. They're a bunch of sissies. You could take a shotgun over there and put every one of them in fear and trembling, probably. <clears throat> they're, they're using these other people. They can't see it because they're blinded with sin, their hatred, right? So what's going to happen? They're going to have to, you see what he said? I'm going to tell you why they're sissies. Because God said they were sissies. Did you not see that in Ezekiel 38? They don't want to come down. He said, I'm going to put a hook in your jaw and bring you down because they're afraid. Why are they going to be afraid? Because they're getting ready to see what God's going to do to Damascus, what he's going to do to Gaza. And finally, it looks like down the road, Egypt's going to wake up and smell the coffee and say, we ain't fighting against Israel no more. Because no nation in the world has seen the power of God like the nation of Egypt. You think about it. You go back to the time when Joseph was in Egypt and when Moses led them out. All the power of God they saw through Joseph and what God did through him. All the power of God they saw when God took these Egyptians in their history. And they know who Enoch is because they had a name for him in Egypt and his name was Holy Man. They called Enoch the Holy Man. And so Egypt, is they're going to turn around, it looks like in the Scriptures, and come back and worship God. Well, what nation wouldn't have seen all that they've seen? They've seen more miracles in Egypt than we've seen in America. But these other nations, God's going to put a hook in their jaw, and he's going to bring down Russia. He's going to bring Turkey in, Gomer. He's going to bring them all, Iran, Iraq, old Persia. All He's going to bring them down. And you know what he's going to do when he brings them down? He's going to bring them down and destroy them. The Bible says it's going to take over seven months to bury the dead. He's going to show up with an earthquake. He's going to show up in a mighty way. He's going to do the fighting for them. So what's going to stir them up? Oh, they're all going to be out in the streets chanting with their signs, right? Oh, my Lord, Israel's got the Gaza Strip again. Oh, my Lord, they've run off. They've destroyed Damascus, but they ain't going to want to come down. They ain't going to want to come down because they're going to see God's hand in all that. And then America's going to have a decision to make. <clears throat> if we're, the rapture's not took place, hopefully the rapture's going to take place next week, but we'll see. <clears throat> and so we, what's going to happen is God's going to put a hook in their jaw and say, uh-uh, 
You've been sitting on the sidelines stirring this up. It's like that person that's a liar and a discord sower that likes to hide and don't put their name on any post. Those are the kind of people I detest. You got something to say, put your name on it. Be real. And so that's what these guys are doing. They're back here funding all this and acting like they're big and bad and they hate Israel. And God said, okay, it's your turn now. Come down. And they're like, we don't want to come down. We were just misinformed. (laughs) And God said, that ain't how this works. I'm putting a hook in your jaw. I'm bringing you down. You have worked against my people long enough you have, you have sold live kittens in their wombs. You took their punishment too far. Your day has come. Now, I'm going to tell you something. God, we're going to see something. And it's not just going to be this group. It's going to be the whole world before God's through. And there's only one place to stand. And that's on God's word with his son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit. That's the only place to stand. You, might, you, might, you need to put your politics down. Let me tell you. Let me just say it this way. This will help you understand this. How many of you are appalled and see the radicalism in a little infant's head cut off? Well, if you think that's radical, but you're for abortion, you're a hypocrite. Because they go inside that mother's womb and snip that uh, spinal cord and suck that baby's brains out with a vacuum cleaner. And that is, no, that is worse than what's going on in Israel. Now, it's bad. I'm with you. But if you think that's bad, but yet you can support abortion, you're a hypocrite. And God's not going to let any of that go. Now, I got news for you, and I always say this. Anybody that's, abortion is not an unpardonable sin, you can be forgiven. But you cannot say that it's okay. All the sins I've committed in my life, none of them were okay. All the sins you've committed in your life, none of them were okay. They all needed to be covered with the blood of Jesus. And if you've got covered with the blood of Jesus, I don't care if you've murdered somebody like Moses did. You're clean before God if you've got covered. But you can't turn around and try and justify yourself and say that it was okay. It's not okay. So you can do wrong and still be against wrong. That's what a lot of parents have trouble with. They think, well, I've done wrong and I don't want, you know, but, my, but hey, wrong's wrong. And leave it there. And call it what it is. Just be thankful that God made a way for you to be forgiven. Somebody give him praise for that. Amen. (laughs) Unless you look down on somebody that's had a particular sin you've not had. The Bible says that if you break the law in one point, you broke the whole law. So it doesn't matter where you break the law. You broke the whole law. And that's what helps us. That'll help us from judging others to realize that the same grace and mercy a murderer needed or whoever is the same grace and mercy I needed for stealing that candy bar. Huh? That's right. Some of you just remembered that. You stole a candy bar, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> the altar will be open in just a few minutes. You can get that all took care of. <clears throat> so these, <clears throat> this, this, so the outer band is going to have to come and be accountable, and they're not going to want to be. God's going to say, it's time for you boys to come down and, and, and own up to where you've been and what you've done. Now, let's go to Zephaniah, and I'm going to play the first chapter because I want you to hear it. It really sounds, you'll, you'll think God walked in the house when you hear this, and he's here, 
but it just put, put we're going to listen to Zephaniah chapter 1, and then I'm going to work out of chapter 2. But I want you to just give this your undivided attention, and let's hear what God says in Zephaniah chapter 1. I had a dream, and when I had this dream, and I want to say this to you, I've had six or seven people, this has been after my dream, but six or seven people just lately come to me that's had dreams or visions about the Lord coming back in this congregation. The dream I had, the Lord was coming back, and I was talking to people on the mountain, and I was looking up at them, and this mountain was starting to slough off, and my family made it up to the top of the mountain, and there were crowds of people, and we separated, and we all started going through the crowd telling people that they needed to get right with God, the Lord was getting ready to return. There's a little more to that dream, but I don't want to give you that now. I just want you to listen to chapter 1, because when I had the dream, the Lord said, I want you to go to Zephaniah. I want you to hear what I got to say in Zephaniah. Then he done that to me again yesterday morning, or Friday morning. I want to show you what, I'll bring that in in just a minute. Listen to chapter 1 here. Of Zephaniah, the word of the Lord, which came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place, the names of the idolatrous priests with the pagan priests, those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops, those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but who also swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord, nor inquired of him. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand, for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has invited his guests, and it shall be, in the day of the Lord's sacrifice, that I will punish the princes and the king's children, and all such as are clothed with foreign apparel. In the same day, I will punish all those who leap over the threshold, who fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. And there shall be on that day, says the Lord, the sound of a mournful cry from the fish gate, a wailing from the second quarter, and a loud crashing from the hills. Wail, you inhabitants of Maktesh, for all the merchant people are cut down. All those who handle money are cut off. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. 
Therefore their goods shall become booty, and their houses a desolation. They shall build houses, but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink their wine. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the law. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. For he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. Wow. When you see that phrase, the day of the Lord, he's speaking of the end of time. A lot of prophecies have a double meaning. But I want you to pay attention here closely to two things in that chapter before we go into the next one. <clears throat> he says, the day of the Lord is at hand in verse 7. Uh, he's going to punish the princes in verse 8. In the same day, I will punish all those who leap over the threshold and fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. People who work on behalf of others to destroy and plunder others. Isn't that something? Because that's not only happening in Israel. It's happening horribly in Israel. But it happens in America. These crowds that get together and rush into these stores that are supported by outside groups. We're in trouble in this country. Now, I'm going to tell you, my posture's changed, and I'll tell you about something here in just a minute. There shall be on that day, says the Lord, the sound of the mournful cry from the fish gate. Uh, then he, he talks about uh, those who handle money will be cut off. And look at verse 12. It shall come to pass in the time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency. Are you there? Have you got a spiritual life that's not been changed in the last year? Have you arrived have you changed anything? The Bible says in Psalms that they feared not God, therefore they had no changes. You don't just get somewhere and stay. You keep growing. The Bible says he takes us from glory to glory. You can't just have a spiritual life now that you're still living the same old thing 10 years from now. You should be growing. You should be adding to that. You should be picking it up in some areas. He said they're settled in their complacency. And then they said the Lord won't do good or evil. There are people like that. They're just stuck, whatever. And then he says, they're going to be destroyed. And he said, the day of the Lord is near, the, in verse 16, the noise of the day of the battle, the day of wrath, the day of devastation. Then look at verse 17. I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. That's the biggest problem. That's where it all started. So Friday morning, I woke up, <clears throat> been pretty sick. And uh, I've been listening to the Word because, like I said, I didn't feel like reading. I was that sick for about a day and a half. 
I ran me a, I was running me a hot bath. It's kind of sweat. I'm like one of them old timers. I think sweat it out's the best thing you can do. Uh, so go get in a sweat lodge or get a hot bath or something. While I was getting ready to do that, I was watching the news and they mentioned Gaza. And I've heard Gaza all the time, but what they hadn't mentioned before was the trouble that might come to Ashkelon. They mentioned Ashkelon. That caught my attention. So I went to take a bath. I turned the scripture on because that after I heard Gaza and Ashkelon, that's when the Lord reminded me of the dream I had and said, I want you to go back to Zephaniah. So I went to the bath and turned on Zephaniah. And I heard the first chapter there. But then I started listening to the second chapter. Let's go to the second chapter. Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O undesirable nation. Before the decree is issued or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you, seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who upheld his justice. Let me tell you who that's like. That's like <clears throat> uh, the children, uh, the priest in Ezekiel. I just lost their name. Uh, who are the priests that God said could come before them in Ezekiel? Come on, somebody. No, it was a division of the Levites, huh? Zadok. The sons of Zadok. Thank you. The sons of Zadok, God got so fed up with the priests that he said only the sons of Zadok could come and minister before him because they had kept his way. Now that's kind of the language that's being used here. God's saying, who are these people? And here's what he says. Seek the Lord all meek of the earth. So that's the whole earth, right? Not just one group. Anybody that's meek in all the earth. Now I'm going to give you a definition for anav is the Hebrew word anav that's translated meek. And, it, and humility obviously is a part of this. It's somebody who recognizes God and who, who recognizes who God is and who they're not, right? In order for you to be meek, you've got to recognize that God's in charge and you're not, right? And that's part of being meek. But here's what caught my attention when I was studying this word anav in Hebrew. It means people, this is powerful. Hear this, write this down, come back and write it down, whatever. This is part of the definition for the word anav. People who prefer to suffer wrong rather than do wrong. People who say, we'll suffer being persecuted and injured and hurt before we'll do God wrong. That's who he's talking to right there. I'm going to tell you a story that'll grab you. A good Christian brother of mine. I won't use any names, but I'll just tell you a story. A true story that I was a part of. <clears throat> he, was a, he was accused of uh, inappropriately touching a nine-year-old. He was, it was his stepdaughter. When this broke, the wife and my friend came to me, said, told me the whole story, said there was nothing, explained what happened, nothing happened. <coughs> Everything was fine. 
some point, <clears throat> the news got a hold of it. And it was major news. <clears throat> and the wife changed her whole story. She wouldn't come talk to him anymore. I went to her place of work. She wouldn't take my phone calls. Red flags. I was starting to feel red flags. <clears throat> I'm going to take you somewhere with this story. <clears throat> so, over time, the, the, that whole thing blew up. It was all over the news. He lost everything. He went to jail. I, would, I visited him a time or two, confronted him, everything. Uh, she would not come and give me a new story because she knew that I knew the original story. <clears throat> I guess. So I, I was part of the court proceedings because I had heard about this firsthand and was in on it. <clears throat> so we, I was in court and I had my part and I had to be at court and just going through the whole thing. And so one trial day... <clears throat> The girl came in, <clears throat> and she testified, the nine-year-old girl. And there was no evidence that she had been traumatized or uh, violated. None of that. All the exams came back good. And she said, called the guy's name, who's my friend, said, he didn't do anything. I just wanted my mom and dad to get back together because that was her stepfather. <clears throat> well, they went berserk on the other side. The judge threw her statement out. They took her out, coasted her for three or four days, brought her back in. She nailed him to the wall. But when she was just left to be herself, that's what she told. So they came to him. A year and a half had passed. He'd been in jail most of that time. And I, I went to see him, and I said, uh, so what's... They said, well, they said... They didn't have any hard evidence against me. They said, I would go ahead and let me out if I would admit to doing it. <clears throat> and he said, and I'd be on the registry for the rest of my life. And uh, I was waiting for his answer. Because I put myself behind those bars at that very moment. And I thought, I've got children, responsibilities, I can walk out of here if all I say is I did it. Go back to my life. He looked at me through that window. If any of you ever, ever visited people in prison, you know what I'm talking about. He looked at me through that window and he said, <clears throat> Matthew, he said, I can't admit to I did it because I didn't do it. And he said, I'll be working against God and I'll be lying. He said, I'm going to stay here for 10 years. Now, I want to ask you a question. We all, you know, because everybody, we have a different culture now. Everybody's guilty until they're proven innocent now. Used to be the other way around, right? But put yourself in his shoes. You got family, responsibility. You can walk eight and a half years early if all you do is tell a little lie. But if you would rather suffer wrong than do wrong. He gained my respect that day. I knew the story. I knew I'd played out. 
there's so much, and I don't want to re- rehearse all that with you because it was clear that nothing had happened. But like I said, you're guilty until proven innocent now in our country. But how many of you, think about it, you can leave prison eight and a half years early and go back to life. Or you can stay 10 years for something you didn't do. Think about Joseph. Yeah, Tim, Tim knows the, he knows the landscape there, but because a guy who's accused of something like that usually don't do well in prison. And, uh, but the Lord protected him, used him. I remember talking to him and visiting him in prison when he had just finished a 40-day fast. He's, he's the real deal. Now, we're in a time where Christianity is hated, like Judaism. But the meek, those people, are you in that number where you would rather suffer wrong than to do wrong? Am I in that number? Are we in that number? It's easy to sit here in a comfortable room and say, yeah, I'm in that number. But then watch your baby get stolen out of a crib and hauled off into the Gaza Strip. Here's what caught my attention too. The Lord wanted to show me that, I believe, clearly what it meant to be meek. And he says, who have upheld justice, seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. We'll come back to that in a minute because that's where we're going to end. But here's what I saw when the Lord, I didn't, I, I'd forgotten this. Or, for Gaza shall be forsaken and Ashkelon, and they just mentioned that on the news, both desolate. They shall drive out Ashdod at noonday and Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast. The nation of the Cherethites, the word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines. I will destroy you. Put that map back up, the first one. <clears throat> I believe the beginnings of the destruction of this region here is started. God's going to destroy this. And go, look what he's, just leave that map up. Let me read something here. It says he's going to destroy the land of the Philistines. That's where that was at. I love God. Don't you? I mean, he, he knows everything. He's not caught off guard by anything. I will destroy you so there will be no... I'm going long. Will you forgive me this morning? So there will be no inhabitant. The sea coast, you see that? All that's on the coast, right? The sea coast shall be pastures with shelters for shepherds and folds for flocks. The coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah. God's getting ready to give that back to his people. Praise your holy name. We're here. We're, I'm excited. I, I love God's plan. I want to be a part of his plan. Now, <clears throat> we'll kind of have to come back to that. Let me take you to Luke 21. Let me end in the New Testament. Um, 
And, and then we'll, we'll be finished here in just a moment. In Luke 21, it's my favorite passage on the end of time because Jesus gives us insight here that we don't get everywhere else when he's talking. Uh, I, I told you we'd come back to this in Zephaniah. He says, it may be, in verse 3 of chapter 2, it may be that, that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Now let's look at Luke 21. Let's pick up with verse 25. We'll just read a few verses and I'll close. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, in the earth, the stress of nations. There's, uh, we're seeing all that, right? With perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring. The, uh, the word nation is ethnos. It's ethnic groups, right? Uh, kingdoms come into play later. But right now, we're dealing in those, uh, in those areas with ethnic groups. Men's hearts failing them from fear and expectation of those things that are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And we're seeing all this. Then they will see the Son of Man come in the cloud and power of great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up. It's good news for us. Look up, your, uh, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Somebody say hallelujah to that. Amen. Notice what else Jesus says here. Then he spoke to them the parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees when they are already budding. And you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. That's what we're looking for. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. When you see these things. I didn't go back. I should have probably. <clears throat> he says in verse... Uh, 24, and they will fall, talking about Israel, by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations, in verse 24, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. In other words, the Gentiles are going to control that until their time's up. So that happened in 1967. That's why this hourglass is here to remind us the countdown started in 1967 when Jerusalem left the hands of the Gentiles, went back under the control of the Jews. The Jews went back home in 48. They'd been scattered. Now they went back home. God's given them back their land. This is a small portion of the land. We might as well, I'm going to tell you something. You're, you're not on God's side if you're one of those people that want them to split the land up and divide it up. You're not on God's side. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible teaches that they, they don't have as much land now as God gave them originally. And the Bible says there's not going to be any deal like that. God's not going to let them give away land. This is over. That kind of talk's over. God's bringing us to the final end. And then he says in verse 34 of Luke 21, But take heed to yourselves. I'm going to tie this into Zephaniah there. Lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness, cares of this life, that that day come upon you. Don't get caught up in the wrong things. Make sure you keep God's word in front of you. For it will come on a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. The same kind of language that he used there in Zephaniah when he talked about people being able to be hidden during that time. This is the only time that Jesus talks about, the, uh, alludes to the rapture. People, all this stuff coming, he said, pray that you be counted worthy to escape all these things and be in front of the Son of Man instead of having to go through them. Jesus don't expound the rapture. Why? Because he, he spoke to the Jews. The Jews primarily rejected him. Paul 
expounded on the rapture. He's the one that opened it up to you. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. The, some of us will be changed in the moment of tweaking the line. Thessalonians, he says, The Lord will come with a shout. We'll meet him in the air. The dead in Christ will rise first. Those of us that are alive remain will be caught up together. So Paul was the one given the task of unfolding the rapture because he was the apostle to the Gentiles and the, the rapture is going to be primarily made up of Gentiles. A few Jews have believed on Jesus as the Messiah over time, but then the seven years of tribulation is designed to bring Israel back to God and anybody else that's willing to see who he is. Because John said he saw a number that no man could number coming out of the great tribulation, out of every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation. So Egypt's coming back to God. A lot of these people, if you read the language in Zephaniah, you guys have come to the instruments. If you read the language in Zephaniah, you'll see that people are, God's design behind all this stuff is to bring people into the fold. Let's stand our feet. If you're going to be on God's side, you've got to be for his plan. You cannot be that church person that we see too much now in our country that says, I love Jesus, but I don't believe what the Bible says in this part or that part. You cannot be in that group that don't believe in prophecy or study prophecy because you're leaving a third of your Bible out if you do that. And you cannot be against Israel. This is not an ethnic thing. This is a God thing. Do you realize there were no Jews originally? There were just Gentiles, if you want to call them that. God made a nation out of Abraham. Abraham was from Chaldea originally. He wasn't born no Jew. God gave him the seal of circumcision, converted him, changed his life. It's a picture of salvation. So, God, if you're going to be on God's side, you're going to have to support what he's doing in the Middle East. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for this moment. <clears throat> there are, we're here to be your people. We get distracted, Lord. I pray that we're living so close to the end. We're seeing this stuff ramp up. We're, we know what your word teaches and we're trying to put that message out there. I just pray, God, that all those that have heard me around the globe and that'll get this message on our podcast and those that are in the building this morning, that we would take it serious, that we wouldn't get caught up in our lives and forget about your plan. Help us to be diligent. Help us to realize that being sacrificial in your kingdom with our resources is more beneficial than storing things up as we participate with you. You said you'd never leave us nor forsake us. We stand with Israel, Lord, but it's more than that. We stand with you. We stand for your righteousness. We stand for your plan. Show yourself strong on behalf of those who put their trust in you. Let your glory fall in this world and let it change the hearts of men and women. And let your plan come to pass. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, it's time to quit putting that off. Today's your day. Ask the Lord to come into your heart. Surrender your life to Him. 
Whatever need you have, this altar's open. Will you come just as we worship just for a moment here before we dismiss?